being preventative in nature and tackling those issues that uh, create those is something that's really important to the Alberta party as well. All right, Mr. Wilkie, we'll let you go. Barry jumps in and, and same with my, my local forum. We, I heard the NDP say all kinds of nice things, but again, they, they don't have any solutions. So you talk about, we need to do this. We need to do that. I'm so tired of politics of people saying we need to have this and this is important. Where's the solutions? Forgotten Corner Podcast would not exist without our listeners. If you enjoy the work we are doing on this show and would like to support further, please consider a donation through our Patreon account, patreon.com backslash Forgotten Corner Pod, or visit our website, forgottencornerpod.com. Welcome back to the Forgotten Corner Podcast. We acknowledge that the Forgotten Corner occupies unceded Indigenous land. We acknowledge that the Blackfoot Confederacy never surrendered its land in the signing of Treaty 7, but agreed to share it. The Forgotten Corner sits on Treaty 7 and Treaty 4 territory, traditional lands of the Siksika, Kainai, Pekani, Stony Nakoda, and Sutina, as well as the Cree, Sioux, and the Soto bands of the Ojibwa peoples. We also honor and acknowledge that we are on the Métis Nation within Region 3. The Forgotten Corner is a proud member of the Harbinger Media Network, and if you'd like to check out other progressive podcasts from across the country, please click the note that we always provide in our show notes. My name is Scott Schmidt, and I am here alongside my co-host, Jeremy Appel. Mr. Appel, how the heck are you, buddy? I just about swore. First episode back. What? What? We don't swear now? (laughs) Oh, we're surrounded by such prestigious company. I just didn't want to, you know. That that's yeah. I didn't um, want to overstep early. I'm sure we I'm, swore when both uh, Barry and Jordan were on the show. So it's okay. yeah, you got me going pretty good, Scott. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. Um. So uh, anyway, oh, go ahead. Sorry, sorry, buddy. Well, didn't you ask me how I was? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I guess I didn't listen for the answer. Yeah. Um. Well, uh, we've got an action-packed episode uh coming up, so I'll be brief. I'm tired. Uh, I was up late last night uh playing uh the legend of zelda tears of the kingdom it's so good okay um and but i don't know man the 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 air here in edmonton is 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 brutal it like i i've never seen it this bad anywhere um of course we're a lot Closer to the fires than uh, you are down in the forgotten corner. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's I, I. You know, I can like smell smoke from my apartment, which uh, not great. I I'm in the land of where nothing bad ever happens to anyone, and so this is why <laughs> you know climate change doesn't really exist down here. So we're good, I guess. Yeah, well, but... uh, you know, Drew Barn Drew Barnes, who's not running in this election, would probably agree with that. Um, yeah, shocker gonna make everyone wait for an announcement for six months that said the whole time well he's clearly not gonna run but anyways we, we can talk about that on an episode we got lots to do we're trying to fit a 90 minute episode here into about 80 minutes so we're gonna pull this off um what we're doing here today we have uh we are very very fortunate to have uh three of alberta's provincial party leaders here with us but the 
great thing about today is that we have none of the major ones that are the only ones allowed to get into those big televised debates. Um, we have with us the leader of the Alberta Party, the leader of the Alberta Green Party, and the leader of the uh, Communist Party from Alberta. So we are uh, going to have a little debate here ourselves today. We're going to talk about uh, various topics that everybody um knows are the big ticket items in this election and we're going to imagine a world where um the three people we have today um might be the next premier now we fun know fact. That, what's that two, yeah i was just gonna say uh fun fact two of the three leaders here sorry jordan uh are running in our respective ridings that is very true that is very true so we well actually that's that's not true. One is riding it. One's riding. Oh, yeah, in my that's city. right. You don't live in Brooks Madison Hat. Okay, no. never mind. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. one of the leaders, uh, right. the one leader we haven't had on the show yet, is yes. uh, running in my riding. That's right. So let's get off to let's get off to it here. So Alberta Party leader Barry Morishita, who you've seen on, or had heard on our show before, and he used to be the mayor of Brooks, is running in the Brooks Medicine Hat riding right in the Forgotten Corner itself. He is going up against. UCP leader Danielle Smith. Never heard Green, of her. Yes, right. Green leader Jordan Wilkie, a longtime firefighter, is challenging NDP Indigenous Affairs critic Richard Feehan in the Edmonton Rutherford riding. And communist leader Naomi Rankin, who has run in federal and provincial ele elections for more than 40 years, is running this time in Edmonton Highlands, Norwood, Norwood where she faces NDP LGBTQ plus issues critic Jan Janice Irwin. And as Jeremy said, his home riding. So today we are asking a series of questions on the economy, energy, healthcare, education, and the environment. Each candidate will have two minutes maximum to answer each question. Additionally, they will have two opportunities throughout the debate to give a 90-second response to another candidate's answer. We know that's not an ideal amount of time to discuss the nuances of everyone's positions, but in the interest of your time, our time, and the listeners' time, we will have to uh, cut people off after two minutes if it exceeds those time limits, so typical debate style. The order of the candidates uh, has been randomly selected by my tired wife this morning, and we'll rotate each question to give each leader an opportunity to answer first, second, and last row. So thank you, everybody, for joining us quickly. How is everybody today? Pretty good. Welcome, welcome. Let's get to it. Pretty good. Thank you. All right, Jeremy, do you want to do question number one? Uh, wait, we haven't heard how uh -huh. Naomi is. <laughs> I, I'm good. Great. Okay. Um, <laughs> Off to it. So let's get started. Um, I hate to be the bearer of uh, bad news, but uh, none of you are going to be Alberta's next premier, um, as I'm sure you're aware. Uh, what role do you see your party playing uh, both in this election and in the next four years? Uh, let's start with the random. Jordan. It was Jordan. So it will go first question will go Jordan, then to Barry and then to Naomi. So first question to Jordan. You got two minutes, my friend. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm coming from Treaty 6, Métis Region 4. Um, thank you for having me here. And uh, we, uh, yes, no, I'm not going to be the next premier, uh, but we have 41 candidates, which is a huge, huge achievement for uh, the Green Party of Alberta. It's the most we've ever had in our 
short life, uh, 12 years now as a party. Uh, so we're on the rise and uh, we have more candidates than the Liberals and the Alberta party combined. So we have been creating a lot of noise, uh, a lot of legitimacy around the issues. And we've also dropped a full platform, the most thorough and progressive platform that we've ever had in our party's history uh, two days ago. So again, when I'm hitting the doors, uh, I'm trying to create more uh, intelligent discussion about the solutions that were just not, uh, that are not in the debate and that are not being talked about to the big, big problems that we have in this province. So when I look at things, when I look outside, when I see the smoke, uh, obviously we have policy failure uh, that is creating a lot of issues, whether it's our ability to tackle climate change, whether it's our ability to tackle the, the fires themselves. Uh, but there's just so much going on. This is not just a policy change, policy failure around disasters. It's a policy failure around poverty. It's a policy failure around the ability to deal with the most basic levels in our society of addiction and crime and these issues that we just never get ahead on. And yet these uh, two entitled parties will talk about giving out the scraps. They'll talk about, um, you know, small little ways to treat the symptoms without going to the root causes of these issues. And so our platform dives deeply into uh, the actual root causes of these issues and talks about how we can uh, combat uh, now and into the future, uh, whether it's crime, whether it's poverty, whether it's uh, Albertans just getting ahead in the affordability issues. And so Greens have, Greens have always talked about the climate and the environment, but we haven't talked about how we can get people through the end of the week. And so we can't ask people to care about the end of the world if we can't show them that we care about the end of the month and the end of the week. You killed it on time, my friend. Exactly two minutes. Mr. Morishita, what role do you see your party playing in the election in the next four years? Well, you're, you're, you know, we, as you stated, uh, the, the Alberta Party is not going to form government. Um, and, you know, when, uh, when we ran in 2019, we had 87 candidates. Uh, we got the most votes we'd ever gotten. Uh, but we lost momentum because we didn't have a voice in the legislature. And I think that, you know, that kind of is the system we have, whether it's uh, attention from the press or kind of just generally staying in the minds, hearts and minds of Albertans and, and growing. Uh, we saw that the momentum stopped. You know, we had a elected official in Greg Clark in 2015 and that built into the 2019. And then um, so when it came down to strategy this time around and you know, we had some interesting uh, conversations after I became leader. There was a lot of intimidation around some of our candidates, even down to our board members, uh, hearing some very specific intimidation going on. And that was very troubling. And as you know, uh, the political conversations that are going on can be very disruptive, uh, not so much to people who kind of jump in because they, they should be jumping with eyes wide open, but families and friends. And so it was, it was a tough slog that way. That being said, we decided to concentrate on having a few uh, a few candidates, uh, ones that um, we were targeting in certain ridings that we had an opportunity to perhaps do a little bit uh, better and get a voice in the legislature. So that's kind of the strategy we've gone forward. And our hope is that we will um, have some success in a couple of ridings and be able to moderate the discussion. Uh, ideally, what would happen is a the Alberta party would uh, have a seat or two and hold the balance of power in a provincial legislature that's uh, increasingly dysfunctional and not responsive to the needs of Albertans. Um, uh, I, I agree a lot with what Jordan was talking about in terms of the approach and the conversation that needs to happen going forward. Although I would say that while the scraps are given to people, 
uh, that uh, <laughs> do need it. There's big chunks being given to people who don't, and that's something the Alberta Party would be moderating for sure if we had the opportunity to be uh, involved. Okay, so to uh, Communist Party leader Naomi Rankin. Okay, well, we the Communist Party is actually a communist party. Our goal is working class power and socialism. And so what we're envisaging is a much bigger change than just a change of which party is in power in the legislature. We view politics as being much broader than just the question of elections and legislatures, although they're obviously relevant. I mean, we do engage in elections. We're not going to avoid you know, any area of, of potential you know, political engagement. But even if, you know, even if all of us were elected, and you know there there is a sizable group of of uh, people with a positive perspective who are holding the balance of power in the next legislature. It's going to take more than that to actually implement a really progressive program in the interests of working people and protection of the environment. We were up against a powerful and entrenched uh, power structure of the multinational corporations that control the energy sector, and they really have controlled the 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 political sphere as well as the economy of our province for a long time. They're not gonna just give up and go away. So in order to really be able to implement positive change and you know, shift the balance of power towards actual working people and not the corporate interests, we need a more engaged uh, citizenry. Those working people have to be involved in the political process after the election is over, prepared to, to protest and to oppose any government measures that are reactionary and prepared to also prepared to be active and come out and support any positive movement from from the provincial government the the government can't do it alone up against you know those powerful corporate interests and their their propaganda machine and their lobbying efforts and so on so that's we see our role during an election and after an election build that alliance of engaged citizenry so it's a well-established uh, fact that oil and gas isn't going to last forever as a source of revenue for Alberta. What would your party do to prepare us for the inevitable day when we can no longer rely on oil booms to solve our fiscal issues? Uh, this time we're starting with Barry, then right. it'll be Naomi, and then it'll be Jordan. Yeah. So Barry. What are you going to do to prepare for the day when we can't depend on oil? So for several years, we didn't do one this year, but for several years, the Alberta Party's always prepared a shadow budget. And we've always, uh, we've, we've, we've always been um, part of the group that I think that is forward thinking. And their business groups and other groups uh, online with this is that we need to review how our revenue system works, um, where we get it from, where it's sustainable, where it has to change. The fact is, is that uh, activity always breeds cost. Like that's that's just the way the, the, the that's where everything works. It's um, it's in a municipality, provincially, federally. The more activity you have, the more cost. Doesn't matter what area it is, that just costs more money. And so we have to look at our revenues, matching them up against our expenses, um, prioritizing those expenses, and then figuring out how we're going to balance. You're absolutely right. Re resource royalty revenue is not going to last forever. And uh, generally speaking, people have to pay for what they get. The services they prov uh, are provided, they have to be paid for. Um, it's been great for Alberta to a degree, I guess, uh, on a personal basis that we've had 
you know, um, we're, we're leaving a lot of tax dollars on the table uh, relative to other provinces, um, but we haven't balanced a budget without resource revenue since about 1981 from my remembering. Um, that's just not sustainable. So our plan is to review all of those revenues, look at ways that we can allow um, lower income uh, people on provincial assistance, how we elevate their standards of living so that they, they have some opportunity and some hope to move forward. Um, we have to look at how uh, a sales tax could fit into the mix. Uh, consumption taxes typically uh, are, are a much better means and a more uh, kind of a sustainable tax base. Uh, that doesn't mean you get rid of the other things, but that means you have to consider them. And eventually over a period of time, you're saving a lot more of what you have in the next 25 or 30 years so that you can use that uh, for future generations. That's our plan. It's not one that happens overnight, but it, it, it's, it's doable. Naomi, what's your plan to uh, further a uh, future uh, without oil? Okay. Well, first of all, um, I'll agree to this extent with Barry that you know, we, we deplorably undertaxed and, um, you know, underfunded our government revenues, like it's been a giveaway of royalties from the actual, the, the very inception of the, um, the energy sector in Alberta. So we have to redress that, get the, you know, get the royalties up to a reasonable rate, put reasonable taxes on corporations, but also um, we propose like an Alberta petroleum marketing board so that the, the, all, you know, all of the corporations have to sell through that board and that any windfall profits come to the to the 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 government and the people, not to to the corporations. But further than that, then actually use that revenue, like have a vigorous program of rebuilding the economy, establishing green energy sources, a green uh, transportation network, build housing, increase social services, clean up the the orphan wells, like clean up the tailing ponds. There's a lot of work to be done. It's, there's no problem of, about finding useful jobs that need doing. We have to take that big chunk of resources and uh, wealth, which has just been drained away, like act, taken out of the province and you know, seize control of that, put it back to work within our province. Uh, we don't need a sales tax. We need, we need corporate taxes. And after that, we need um, to be gradually taking control of those corporations. I mean, they've had their run. They've had their more than their fair share of the profits out of exploiting the labor of uh, workers in Alberta and exploiting the resources that supposedly belong to us. There's an abundance of wealth there that should be immediately put to work, trans, you know, to build the parts of the economy that are not dependent on oil and gas, uh, that are not that are not dependent on fossil fuels, and you know, build build an economy for the future. Perfect time. And I'm not even muted. So we're starting to really get rolling here. <laughs> On to Green Party leader, Jordan Wilkie. Okay, so um, a, a life beyond oil and gas. Uh, right now, critically, uh, as uh, the other parties have talked about, royalty rates is uh, the critical piece that we've been pushing for a very, very long time, the Green Party. Uh, our platform plank really focuses on this. We have a whole section um, called saving for the future. Uh, and this is kind of where we talk about how we pay for this transition and what that transition should look like, uh, which is a worker-based justice transition. So regarding uh, Lawheed, we utilize him because these are 
already um, stats and figures that are accepted by the, the industry. And so again, we don't want to make up uh, rates. We want to go back to the rates that where we were getting our fair share uh, and integrate that into the economy and, and how that would work to uh, transition, but also to pay for the, our, our public uh, services and our infrastructure, as uh, Naomi talked about, the green infrastructure and the diversity and the diversification. Uh, of of the economy. Um, so with Lougheed's rates, for example, last year, $152 billion from oil and gas. Uh, if we got Lougheed's rates, $50 billion uh, right into our uh, treasury. What could we do with $50 billion? Uh, we could start diversifying, we could start uh, shoring up our public services, uh, put it back into the heritage fund uh, pieces of it, and we could build that heritage fund as it was meant to be built, uh, similar to Norway's uh, trillion dollar fund. Imagine utilizing the interest uh, alone from that fund in order to pay and balance our budgets as we transition, as we improve our infrastructure, as we improve our, our economy, and with a worker uh, focused transition. And as Naomi said, reclamation is also in our in our uh, platform. Uh, we're talking about the reclamation job boom, about utilizing the polluter pay system, about a regulator that actually regulates this industry so that we can get jobs back to the workers to clean up and to thrive and to move on into the future uh, for a strong, strong economy. Time. Good job. I'm even going to read a question this time because here we go. I will remind everyone that you each have two uh, interjections of 90 seconds. I, I just don't want to let you forget. If you want to use one of those, uh, just let me know at the end of the third person's talking. Uh, on to the next question. All right. Danielle Smith, I think we've all established we know who she is. Um, she says she wants to cut income taxes to save low-income people $750 a year. Rachel Notley says she's going to freeze income taxes, eliminate the small business tax, and raise corporate taxes to 11% over three years. How would your party approach Alberta's tax structure? And we will start this question with Communist Party leader Naomi Rankin. Well, I think we, we've already all established the sort of the, the, the root sort of context in which we're answering this question. But I mean, 11% is a rather paltry corporate tax. I mean, the post-war, during the post-war boom, you know, Second World War, I mean, we had corporate taxes up around 40 and 50%. And that generated a boom, right? So the, what, we, what we're interested in is seeing the wealth that working people create through their labor actually used for their benefit. And this is just not compatible with handing over control of that wealth to private interests. I mean, capitalism just has its limits. So certainly in the short term, the first step is to raise corporate taxes and not just to 11%. The first step is double them. The next step after that is double them again. Because, I mean, I, I'm going to circle back a little towards to what was said in the last question. Like, everybody sort of raises the mantle of Lougheed as if this was the, this was the, the glorious past to which we should aspire when royalties were fair. Lougheed set up a system where the royalties were not fair. They, they were, it was already a giveaway situation. They were already giving special deals to the corporations, tax cuts, you know, tax holidays and royalty cuts. This was supposedly going to be a temporary situation until those companies had been guaranteed to recoup their original investment. And then the royalties were supposed to go up and the taxes were supposed to go up from there. So 
the, the Lockheed era was not an era where they were paying their fair share. They never paid their fair share. So there's a great deal of room. There's a great deal of room for you know higher taxes to corporations where they would still be paying less than their fair share. Thank you very much. Beat time by 10 seconds. Uh, next on to Jordan Wilkie of the Green Party. Exactly. So yeah, going back to tax structure, uh, what we like to do is focus on where there was good ideas so that people aren't saying, oh, the Greens are making up things. Uh, and that's why Lahi's rates are important. That's why it's important to actually go back to that and say, yes, we, we can start here and we can do better. Um, as far as doing better, I think that the tax structure itself shouldn't go be a burden on the people. Uh, as Sales tax is a uh, policy of the Green Party, but this is not the time for that, not an affordability crisis. Right now, what we need to do is uh, definitely go after the profiteering of, of corporations. Uh, we definitely want to raise a large uh, corporate tax rates to 12% uh, in line with the provinces beside us. Why? Because that's what's going on right now. These are rates that we can manage and that we know uh, are accepted. And so we can start there and then do better. What does that look like? Uh, utilizing an excess profit cap is critical for all these uh, co companies that are now profiteering at levels that are completely unacceptable. Uh, when you have an excess profit cap and you put that in place for the different industries, then you can stop the price gouging and then you can create more competition. Uh, we have monopolizing of our industries and I think that that needs to change uh, because right now uh, the people are struggling and they need to, more support. When we can figure that out, we can utilize uh, the royalty rates, the increased taxes, we can give out a basic income, and we can actually give money back to the people in an unconditional setting where they can spend the money and they have the freedom to spend the money. I can't tell them, do they need to buy groceries? Do they need to put their kids in, into a soccer practice? Do they need this or that? I need to give money to the people so that they do not struggle. And when we do that, uh, we absolutely can increase our standard of living, uh, the safety and security of our communities. Uh, they will make better health choices. We can get people off the street and we can continue to thrive as, as a community. But until we do that, uh, we will always see these root causes of, of corruption and, and, and poverty in our system. And we need, to, we need it to end. Uh, Mr. Morishida. So well, I touched on this a little bit. We, we certainly want to revisit the entire revenue structure for the province of Alberta. We've said that several times. We've been saying that for a long time. And we do need a, we do, I think we do need a consumption tax at the end of the day. We have to look at every form of tax and where it goes, how it's delivered and, and how we collect it. Um, you know, uh, having had, whether it's the burden or the luxury of having governed, uh, you, you know, simplistic solutions are awesome. They're they're nice to aspire to, but to put things into place takes a lot uh, a lot different uh, process. Um, the fact is, is that we have to kind of accept where we are, and then we have to try to move uh, um, to a place that everybody can benefit from. Um, our success should be measured in improvement year to year, decade to decade, um, not just whether we kind of get our way. And the fact is, is that the systems we have in place have been here for a long time. They're going to take a long time to, uh, to, to create a benefit for people who have been left out of the conversation. But uh, that has to be done together uh, because we can't just radically change things tomorrow. Um, it, you know, we could be nice to snap our fingers and have a perfect world, but that's just not the case. That's not going to happen. And we have to have a plan to do that. And the Alberta Party is, is saying that we have to work through our structures. 
um, whether it's uh, property taxes, because uh, there's a lot of form of taxation that goes on in the province, um, not just in the form of at the income or at the source, but there's property taxes, there's levies, there's carbon taxes, there's all kinds of ways that people uh, have money collected from them that go to the government and then, then are redistributed in one way or shape or form or the other. And we have to take that whole bundle and we have to figure out what is in fact the best way to do that. Uh, there's, there, there are uh, a lot smarter people than me when it comes to economics that can tell us how we can benefit from that. The Alberta Party's committed to doing that in an open and transparent way with right. Albertans having an opportunity to be part of it. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Jeremy, I'll uh, let you uh, go on to the next question unless anyone, does anyone want to uh, interject anything? No. Yes. No. Okay. Jeremy, go ahead with question. next question, buddy. This debate's so respectful. <laughs> no one wants to i just like that people are saying real things on our in our debate yeah. like it's so much yeah, better no it's good we um the ndp and ucp are both promising to deliver balanced budgets how willing are you to engage in deficit spending how much revenue should be dedicated to debt repayment uh starting with jordan this time Uh, great. So, I mean, when we get $50 billion from Lahey's rates, if we were to get that, if we were to integrate that, then we could pay for all these things. And that includes uh, free tuition. That would include getting people loan repayments uh, that are students. And when you do that, you create a more equalized society where people do not have to be rich to pay for their uh, schooling and for their their books. And, and we need to ensure that uh, the money goes back to the, the people, uh, and this is the critical piece that, that I want to talk about today is, is the fact that it is just simply not going to the people, it's not going uh, to the to Albertans that are struggling. Uh, so as far as deficit spending, I don't think that right now we are the richest province in, in Canada. Um, how can we allow uh, the issues that are at our doorstep? whether it's poverty or addiction, four people dying every day last year from addiction. And I have my, you know, I, I see it firsthand on the fire truck. I'm there. I'm, my hands are on this. This is very real. And people can look away and they can say that these are, are not issues that are more important than uh, fiscal responsibility. Uh, but for me, this is absolute bullshit. Look, I, I did it, uh, Scott. I was the first one. <laughs> and so here we are. John. <laughs> Here we are now um, talking about the real issues and how we need to move the needle. And I think that when we look at the, the, the pages of, of these numbers and then we look at the human lives that are dealing with these struggles, we need to make a decision. And we need to make that decision. And it has to be a humanitarian decision. It has to look at the future. It has to look at the environment. It has to look at the fact that we're utilizing this greed in our society to overcome uh, the actual human needs of our society. And that has to stop. Thank you, Mr. Wilkie. And sorry, I forgot where we were at right now. It's Barry. On, to, missed, on to Barry, yes. You guys are a good team. You, you cover up for each other really well. It's awesome. <laughs> you and, mean Jeremy and... covers up for me all morning so far. Yeah, it's good. Well, you did you did preface you, you were rusty. That's okay. I there's no doubt about it. That's not. So 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 to the question about deficits, uh, you know, I, absolutely, I think there's a time for the provincial government to run them. Um, but there there are a lot of things that that could be done in the interim in order to avoid running deficits. Um, 
the fact is, is that, you know, uh, we, 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 we brag about claim, you know, collecting $20 billion less in taxes a year um, on an individual and corporate basis in Alberta than any other province in the, in, in the Confederation. Um, and it's not that we have to collect as much, but certainly there's room for that. There's no reason for us to run a deficit in Alberta. We're a wealthy province. There's no reason um, to not be able to deal with the issues that Jordan brought up uh, that, have, that have been issues for the Alberta party, the way social support is dispensed, the way we deal with poverty, the way we deal with homelessness, all of those things um, can be dealt with. It's a matter of political and priority. The, the um, priority-based budgeting that, that the Alberta party has talked about time and time again does budget like we budget at home. We, uh, we want to deal with the things that are important. And then if we have extra money, then we deal with those things. Um, it, it, it seems to be a simple, simple process. The problem is, is in that process, uh, it's transparent. And when it's transparent, then you can't make deals with like the Calgary Flames and give them $330 million uh, for Murray Edwards to have a new box uh, at a beautiful stadium, which I, I don't want to deny him, but he should be paying for those things. That isn't a priority for, for Albertans to be paying for those kinds of things. And that is, that is the key to the platform for the Alberta party, priority-based budgeting, but running deficits happens from time to time. We do not live in an island. You know, if Alberta had control of everything and of its own, we didn't have to worry about what came in the border, out the border, around the border in time, we could do all these things, but we live in a world where economy is tied to all kinds of things. So we have to be prepared to shoulder those uh, shocks uh, and we have to have a philosophy that deals with people first. Perfect. Naomi, you're up. You're also on mute. Yes. Okay. Are so, you Scott. Yeah. I. I mean, we're, obviously, we all agreed here because all reasonable and sensible sensible people do agree that we don't have a spending problem. We have a revenue problem, and it's because of the royalties and taxes voluntarily foregone by government, which is just simply in the pockets of those, you know, the energy sector corporations. So we all agree, you know, that that needs to change. So, um, but specifically about debt, there's there's debt and debt, right? I mean, there's, you know, as Barry said, this question of priorities, like there's, there's money, if money is invested with a reasonable expectation of being productive, that, that it's actually going to create, generate a profit and generate, you know, a, a higher level of uh, employment and a higher level of uh, quality of life for people generally. But, you know, that, that's return on investment. If, if money is simply frittered away, given away, with no strings attached to, to the you know, to corporations as is done now, well, that's you know that's bad debt, that's debt which is a burden. So I think we have to look at how do we how do, the question of debt is, is in some ways is secondary. I don't think it should be the criteria by which we judge spending decisions. We should judge those decisions based on. Are we acquiring control over the actual wealth that's generated in the province through royalties, through taxes, and, and through ownership of, of the corporations? And are we using it to generate gen genuinely productive uh, economic activity that's going to increase the prosperity and the quality of life for people by providing the services and also providing the, the, the actual production of, of, of commodities that are, that are useful, helpful? So, you know, I mean, debt can be a problem, but it's a problem only when we allow ourselves to be held hostage by the, 
you know, th those corporate interests and time. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry. But, yep. Go ahead, yeah, Barry. I, I just, I, again, I just want to expand on the idea that we're not an island economically. You know, the, the world, the world, we've got world prices for oil. We have uh, central bank setting interest rates. We have all of those things. So every decision we make has consequences, both internally and externally. It sends signals, it sends, it, 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 it changes the economics of uh, all kinds of things. And like I said, I'm not, uh, well-versed enough as an economist in any way, shape, or form to understand that. But I do understand that we we have to be uh, we have to be prudent in the sense that we have to protect all of Albertans' position. So we can't uh, you know we can't run deficits to no end. We can't not pay down debt to no end because the costs uh, and the to Albertans directly and service loss and interest and things that we're paying that money out to some other people, other other interest is real. So we have to be we have to be uh, thoughtful about the decisions we make. And and like I said before, there are certainly times when when the provincial government should be running a deficit, but it should be within a long term framework of how do we keep Albertans' uh, quality of life up? How do we deal with the situations uh, that government should be dealing with in terms of education, health care? Uh, uh, anti-poverty measures, those kinds of things. But that's really, really important to remember. We're not that what we decide have consequences internally and beyond our borders. Mr. Wilkie wants his turn. Yeah, go ahead. We're getting in. We're getting into it. Yeah. OK, so that being said, Barry, I mean, I think that we're also measuring the wrong things. So when we start talking about metrics and we start getting into the economics of things, we're going off of a model generally uh, the the GDP. And so we're measuring as uh, people smarter than myself have said, we will measure everything except for the things that truly matter. Uh, and I believe that was RFK. And so when we do that, we now base our economy off of this need for constant growth, this endless need for growth, whether it's good, whether it's bad, just make sure it happens. And I think that that is, again, a driver of the economy, which skews the numbers, which does not allow for the well-being of our citizens. And so when we're talking about well-being economies, as the Green Party constantly talks about, uh, we've been coached by a wonderful Alberta economist, Mark Anielski, on what that really means and how we can get it, because there's more than enough money out there. There is more than enough money out there. It is just not going to the people. And so when we focus on the metrics that decide what makes a community thrive, what creates safety in a community, what allows for the growth of the children, uh, of, of community uh, solidarity, and what allows for uh, a healthy lifestyle, then we start measuring the metrics that matter in this economy and in this uh, province. Nice. Now that was a heck of a way to, oh yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I don't disagree with what Jordan's saying is is the, the important uh, KPIs for the province of Alberta should be people first. Uh, we, we've talked about that a lot as well, but we cannot ignore the fact that you can't do it only on your own. The fact is, is that if you uh, take measures that drive, whether it's investment or people out of a community for all kinds of various reasons, um, whether it's uh, how you treat corporate income tax and all those types of things, you can affect quality of life as well. For instance, I'll give you an example in my own community. So if uh, you decided, if someone decided that the corporate tax on uh, protein processing plants, like the one of mine, 
was going to go up because that's just the way it was. And JBS being an international company said, well, I'm no longer processing uh, beef in um, Brooks. Well, that's 3000 people who would be jobless, let alone, um, uh, you know, not have a future going forward. That would be two, 1 million cattle from Canadian, uh, Alberta farmers that wouldn't be used. They would have to go somewhere else. Where would they go? Would they make any money doing that? Th these, these things, these decisions have consequences. I'm not saying that our focus, and we have said that, government should be looking after people first. That is their job. We just have to be aware and we have to be cognizant of the consequences of doing some of the things we do. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying some of these things can't be done in that context, but we just have to be aware that we can't make them in isolation. That's all. Okay, now... I am assuming that okay. we're all right. <laughs> I was just going to say, like, it would be weird if you didn't go yeah. ahead. You know, like Barry has just given us like the clearest and most eloquent explanation of the point that I want to make, which is if we, if we restrict ourselves to playing according to the rules that have already been set for the game, we're stuck. We're boxed in that the only way out is out. Right. And I'm not saying it's easy. It will be, you know, it'd be a tremendous struggle. If we elect a genuinely progressive government in this province that's going to really take measures to, to redress the imbalance of where the, where the wealth is going and to start taking control of some of that wealth to develop the economy and the interests of, of people, that's, going to, that's, that's a big fight. We have to actually shift the balance of power between these classes. Of, but if we don't, we remain boxed in where we are. So I'm not saying it's going to be easy, and I'm not saying that any one party could do it alone. You know, we we don't see we don't see the Communist Party taking power. We see a coalition of forces taking power, and that coalition will involve more than just political parties. It has to involve uh, movements and community organizations. It has to be a really fundamental shift in the balance of power in the whole society to be a real change. But that's the change that we advocate. And that's the change that I think we can do if, if, if people get on board with the progressive program. Well, I think that that's an amazing way to wrap up our economic portion of this debate. I think we're starting to get a little spirited, which I love. We've already got our first swear word. I knew if we were if we were betting, it was going to be either J Jordan or myself. So, I mean, you know, we're doing good here. Um, so we're going to move on to healthcare. Okay, we got a few questions, uh, pretty uh, broad questions, but we'll. Uh, so I, again, we apologize that you can't obviously discuss all the nuances, but basic uh, basic points, I guess. So, question number one is: There is a healthcare worker shortage in Alberta. Alberta is the only province in Canada unable to fill its residency positions this year. And there's been a lot of difficulty retaining healthcare workers who have been increasingly burned out from the trauma of the pandemic. What would your party do to attract and retain healthcare workers in the province? And we're going to start with Barry. Yeah, there, there's no doubt. Uh, we, we've undervalued, uh, and I say we collectively, I'm trying not to blame anybody here, but um, certainly the provincial government has undervalued professionals, uh, certainly doctors and nurses, uh, threatened them, tore up agreements, treated them disrespectfully, tried to, uh, to limit their ability to do their job. And that continues on. And that's something we need to change. So first of all, we have to start with a better relationship. The reason doctors aren't coming here, and I've talked to dozens and dozens of them over the last uh, 18 months, is they don't want to be in Alberta. Alberta is attractive for a couple of reasons. It's a beautiful place to live. 
Uh, we pay more than just about every jurisdiction in, in the entire country. I think uh, to a person and on average, we, we pay more for all of those positions, but uh, people don't feel like this is the environment they want to work here. And that's, so that's job one is to repair that, repair that relationship and, and uh, work with physicians, nurses, allied health uh, to get that job done. The other thing is we have to make a commitment to this. We don't have actually a health plan for people in this province. I was just shocked to know we don't really have a, have a strategy. We, you know, uh, we've, we've made some uh, gains here in the last little while where some extra, extra spaces are being uh, op, uh, put into universities for health. We need to double that. We need to double that immediately. We need to start recruitment um, after we build the relationship. But this is not a 90 day problem as has been described by some. Uh, it is not over, as has been described by some. Um, you know, political talking points don't fix healthcare. What does is getting on the ground and being realistic and saying, you know, this is a this is a ten year uh, fix. It's going to take ten years to get us on a good road. Uh, but there are people out there that want to do it. The Alberta Party wants to be uh, innovative and open minded about that, and we need to first work with those health professionals to make that happen. I oh, did Scott. it. I did it. We're good. We're right on time, though. Good job, Barry. Uh, next up is Naomi. Okay, so the problem is the government, right? I mean, the problem is not the nurses or the doctors. They did, didn't just suddenly become, you know, hostile or lazy. You know, we all agree on that. So what we have here is a reactionary government, which is actually hostile to public health care. They don't want the Medicare. They don't. They want. They are working towards a system of where the the public system is degraded and starved of funds, and becomes so bad that people would accept a privatized system. And there are, you know, American corporations poised, ready to come in and, and exploit that in any jurisdiction in Canada. Right? They're they're interested in doing that in any province where they get they, where they get, there's an opening. So. We need to basically we just need to turn around, be committed to public health care, put the funding into it, guarantee jobs for any for all the, the, the graduates from nursing and the allied you know, health care professions um, and eliminate the private sector from the medical system. Like bring all necessary medical services into the public system. Uh, I have a friend who uh, who needs home care. She had a uh, she had a uh, sit down uh, discussion about the possibility of having self um, administered healthcare, where she would hire her helpers rather than going through an agency. And she was told, in so many words, they'd give her twenty dollars an hour for the necessary care, but the agency gets thirty because they have to make a profit. Right? So. That we, the, the, the citizens, are paying 50% over and above the, for the value of services so that agencies could be guaranteed a profit while providing necessary services. We don't need that. Excellent. And lastly, to Jordan Wilkie. Yeah, Naomi's uh, nailing it regarding moving it back into the public sphere, uh, having be better regulations on on the public control of, of um, our healthcare system, so that the, these things don't become a price gouging, um, profiteering uh, mantle like we have in the states. Like we need to protect this, and so. Uh, we talk about, of course, the, the, the need to retain, uh, recruit, respect. This is the United Nurses of Alberta's mantra regarding uh, how to, to, to help 
uh, in this regard. And this goes for doctors, this goes for nurses, this goes for uh, all hospital workers and for the paramedics. Uh, there is, first of all, a mental health crisis in our society and within our hospital staff. Uh, universal mental health care is a critical piece of our platform. It is a critical piece to the well-being of our province. Uh, and when you look at these proactive uh, ways of dealing with, with health care, you free up hospital beds before it's too late. We cannot just keep saying, oh, we'll wait for a worst case scenario and then we'll try something else. Or with the wildfires, we'll wait for a worst case scenario and then we'll throw your money at it until it goes away. So this is the reactionary uh, piece that Naomi's talking about is the reactionary piece that as a disaster manager myself, look at it and go, oh my God, are you kidding me right now? You will wait for a worst case scenario. And that is what we're getting to. Uh, when we look at also the proactive issues, why aren't we looking at the, the indigenous healthcare? Why aren't we focusing on indigenous communities uh, that are struggling? Uh, we are not fulfilling our treaty obligations of providing a medicine chest. That is our promise to the people. Uh, and this is absolutely crazy that we're not supporting and subsidizing at a level. There's indigenous doctors that don't know where to go that will leave our province uh, when they're needed most. Uh, it's just incredible. And when you look at the, the, the holistic views, a universal basic income, every trial, every every trial says that it will lower the rates of the healthcare costs because people will make better decisions, they'll be healthier, and they'll have a better thriving community. And that is what we need to focus on. Excellent. Now, oh, did you put your hand up, Barry? Yeah, I just. Well, just do you, to, is it about privatization? Because the next question is literally about privatization. If you wanna. No, no, it's just, just, just to, just to put an emphasis on on the pre, pre, uh, preventative issue. I think you know Jordan brings up a good issue, and I think it's not just specifically to healthcare. Although the Alberta Party said mental health is healthcare, so it should be treated exactly the same way. There, sh there shouldn't be any uh, financial barriers to accessing mental health for sure. But further to that, there's, a, and it, it kind of inter, uh, interlaces, and this is why, you know, you have to have some sort of goal-oriented, like outcome-oriented, probably you want people to be in a better place. If that's the case, then all of your ministries, all of your, all of your activities should point to that. But being preventative in all of the other social determinants too, like having home security. I think homelessness is a huge Huge. This is not anecdotal evidence. This is proven time and time again that if people have a home, they have better health outcomes. Plain and simple. That's like it. it it's as simple as it is. When people have uh, enough support, if they are on specifically too, the ones that are already on provincial supports of some kind, when they have enough support uh, that they can buy food and do those things, they have better health outcomes. So being preventative in nature and tackling those issues that. Uh, those is something that's really important to the Alberta party as well. All right, Mr. Wilkie, we'll let you go. Barry jumps in and, and same with my, my local forum. We, I heard the NDP say all kinds of nice things, but again, they, they don't have any solutions. So you talk about, we need to do this. We need to do that. I'm so tired of politics of people saying we need to have this. And this is important. Where's the solutions? Are you talking about housing first? Are you talking about the finished model? Are you talking about an 80% success rate? Are we talking about wraparound services? Are we talking about safe supply? Are we talking about any of these issues that actually drive the needle and move it so that people can have these proactive solutions? I'm so tired of politicians saying that, let's remember to do this. Well, then talk about rent control. Talk about what's your cap? What's the Alberta party's cap? Is it 1.5? Is it 2% like in BC? We need to ensure that we have metrics when we discuss these things or else we're just saying words again and again and again and it's driving me crazy That's so all so, right so, barry we're going to so give I, you I a take, minute on I that take, one too. i take exception to that because you know we, we've got 90 seconds to answer questions 
So do you want me to drive home one? one? We have looked at the finished model. We have, Good, we have then talk goals. about it. We've had goals. We have goals for how many housing units should be built. Uh, we've talked about taking part then in the talk about it. Budget. How many? Yeah. Jordan, 40, let them talk about it. 40,000 units. 40,000 units to start. We've talked about establishing a fund so that for the next 10 years, there's access to money that can be partnered with the federal and provincial government, not on a grant basis, but you come to the table. And whether it's uh, 30 or 50 cent dollars, they're there for you to go and build your affordable housing units. What I am tired of, honestly, Jordan, is that you can't, we cannot continue to bang one drum. If we're going to move this, this uh, actual progressive uh, agenda forward, We've got to say it in a way that meet people where they are. And politically, that's where people are. 90% of the people don't know about the finished model for housing, but they understand that the outcomes for healthcare have to be better and they, and they know about preventative. I mean, we have to be- Right, they don't know about it because okay. no one's talking about it. And that's the point that I'm making. Say okay. it, I, lo I love to hear po what points, you're talking points about. Made, points made, I got to interject. We got lots to get to. Naomi, do you have anything to add to this since we just had a little exchange there? Did you, do you have a minute that you want to add or? No, just agree with both of them. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, okay. So the next question, and I think we can, we've already talked about this, so, but we'll let you expand a little bit on it. But Jeremy, why don't you read the next question? Yes, uh, the UCP has privatized various healthcare functions from certain surgeries to non-medical hospital jobs. Its stated policy uh, is for public funds to subsidize uh, private surgeries. But Smith uh, has previously advocated for user fees for doctor visits, which would violate the Canada Health Act, which is probably one reason uh, why she's not advocating uh, for it on the campaign trail. Now, these are two distinct types of healthcare privatization. What is your party stance on the privatization of healthcare services? We're going to start with Naomi. Okay, well, I actually sort of think I answered this before. I mean, we're absolutely opposed to any privatization that all necessary services, including the, the sort of administrative and the housekeeping and, you know, the services and hospitals and so on, it should all be under the public healthcare system. There should be no place for any profit motive in the provision of any necessary healthcare services. I can't say it any more than that. <laughs> <laughs> That's I kind of thought we might know your answer already. <laughs> uh, Jordan, you're up next. I, yeah, I think most of us have, well, I know Naomi and I have, have answered this regarding the need for uh, making sure this is within the public system because, I mean, put it into a, as a firefighter, let's put it into the firefighter complex uh, idea. So all our public services, this is, this is for all our public services, right? We can talk about them all. So a fire truck shows up at your, your house is on fire and it says, okay, guys, uh, we're going to put some water on this. You get that. You're going to get that for free. Don't worry about that. But we could use foam on this and we could actually do an interior attack, but that's the silver model or the gold model. And you're standing out front uh, while people are struggling at levels that are absolutely out of control. Worst case scenario, worst day of their life. And you're asking them, okay, well, you know, we could put some foam on that, but that's going to cost you. I mean, this is what we're looking at. I mean, this is the private industry. It's insane. You know, they were talking about moving ambulance services uh, into the private model. Holy crow, have you seen the tow truck companies? Um, 
do you want that? Do you want to have that type of uh, level of service where uh, obviously the rich will always benefit uh, and, the, and the oppression and, 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 the, and the, the devastation of, of communities that, that have been oppressed by, by, by the system or in the past now continue to get pushed down uh, well, the people who have the money uh, can afford the education, they can afford the, all the health care that they want, and they can afford the gold model of firefighting, uh, just as an example. But I think that, we, again, we need to be looking at this and we need to stop this. We need all hands on deck in regards to keeping things public and regulated. Very. So, so absolutely, uh, you know, absolutely committed 100% to public health care. Uh, and, and, and certainly the for-profit model of contracting has to be um, looked at be but but we should be, be careful about like the whole idea of others doing work for the healthcare system um, so we, we it doesn't have to be all internally government run there are plenty of nonprofits there are plenty of other agencies out there that provide could and have the capacity to provide better service in fact at more efficient rates uh, I think of in 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 uh, homelessness and certainly in uh, assisted living and things there are options uh, that are not like just 100% government owned that provide good work so I think we have to talk about efficiency and who's best to provide that that being said that the for-profit motive for health care uh, housing seniors, those kinds of things, that has to be eliminated because it does not serve us well. Um, when it comes to capacity generation in the healthcare field in Alberta, uh, we've got to find better ways to build uh, a steady stream uh, of capacity building, um, whatever that looks like. I talked to a doctor who administers a really large hospital in Edmonton, and he, at lab services was a really good example for him. He said, you know, we don't have to have one style or the other. There are some really like really basic things that uh, other agencies could be doing outside of government that, are, that could provide that, but you can't have it one way or the other all the time. It does not work. So again, the Alberta party's approach is to listen to what people are saying at the front line and try to provide as uh, much resources for uh, as reasonable a cost as possible. Um, but at the end of the day, we do have to keep the system public and that accessibility has to be the number one thing that we have to guard and protect. Perfect. Beaten time all over the place here on this one. So that was actually all we had for healthcare because here at the Forgotten Corner, we only care that we don't privatize and that we have uh, people there to when we go to the hospital, right? Um, so we're going to move on to some education questions and uh, yeah, we'll just jump right into it here. So Alberta has long funded charter schools equally to public Catholic and Francophone schools, which for the sake of brevity will refer to as public. Unlike public schools, charter schools don't have a democratically elected board, can charge more fees than public schools, but not tuition and don't have to accept all students. In 2019, the UCP lifted the cap of 15 charter schools that are permitted to operate in the province. It also removed public school boards oversight over charter school expansion. In the most recent budget, the government went further and provided a greater increase to charter schools than public school funding. The province also funds upwards of 70% of operating costs for accredited private schools. Similar to our healthcare question, how, what is your what are your thoughts on public funds going toward private or charter education? And we're going to start with Jordan. Oh, okay. Where do I start and where do I stop? Uh, regarding charter schools, I mean, there's 
there's some uh, I like some there's some good initiatives because uh, whether it's uh, sporting and 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 music and things like that I, I think it's it's interesting how they're utilizing some specialties. However, there's uh, charter schools is problematic uh, for many reasons, uh, and I think that there should be more regulation around it to bring it at least closer to the public system and really realize. Okay, why why do we need the charter schools? I think that that's a larger conversation that society needs to have. Why do we need this? Uh, generally, why you need these things is because our system is is hurting. Our public school system is hurting, and there's a lack of funding that's going into it for many many reasons. One, we should be funding them better. Second of all, we should we should stop uh, destabilizing our public schools system uh, by promoting, especially elite private schools. There should be no public funding that goes into uh, these elite private schools, which is a burden on 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 the public school system. And furthermore, if we can amalgamate some of these school boards, we can save millions and millions and millions of dollars, and that would allow for a stronger public system that still can can teach uh, different uh, uh, re religions and things like that, which is already doing. The public school system already does that. Why not do that regarding uh, Catholic as well? And uh, furthermore, I think that what we need to focus on the, uh, the most is, is supporting these schools because if you, the problem with charter is that people get into the system if they don't match anything, they can just get regulated back to the public school system. Uh, and instead of having a holistic approach to where where students are struggling, they can actually provide the health, the, the mental health, the uh, support systems uh, and, and bring people up together. So again, we're creating, again, a lot of uh, class discrimination in regards to how we get uh, access to education and how we can thrive uh, as when we leave uh, these, the school system. Good job, Jordan. And on to Barry for two minutes. Okay, thanks. Um, so first of all, the Alberta party says uh, we need to freeze the funding for private. And we need to stop the creation of charter schools until we have that conversation. Uh, I jokingly said to my school superintendent in a jurisdiction that I was <laughs> visiting that I think all the public schools should become charter. Then we can just limit the, to the classroom size recommendations. And that'll be how we have to deal with classroom sizes. And, and that would be it. Because charter schools have, under the new rules, have become a form of private school and that there's discrimination involved in who gets in and who, who doesn't. And that's not acceptable. Um, we, we, need to fix, uh, we need to fix the model. And it's certainly, we need some choice. I get that. I, I think uh, private schools have a place. I think uh, I, my kids have gone through the Catholic school system. Um, uh, I went through the public school system. They're both public, but I, I think they, they both serve a purpose. Uh, I don't think competition in education is a bad thing, but I think we need to fully fund public education uh, to that point. So, but charter schools, the new rules have, have the potential to really dis, be destructive to the public system in terms of parsing it out uh, down to the middle. I like the ideas when, when charters, when you had specialty schools being part of, overseen by the public system when there was need, or uh, when there was, uh, you know, some innovation involved in keeping schools open, you could create those opportunities within the public system. I, I think those things should all be allowed. Uh, but when the charter schools essentially become de facto ways of discriminating or eliminating kids from attending those, uh, that's a no-go for the Alberta party and a no-go for me. Excellent work. And uh, we'll finish with uh, Naomi from the Communist Party. Yeah. Okay, so yes, obviously, no, you know, no funding, no subsidies to private schools, no tax exemptions to private schools. The, I mean, 
I think you know both my colleagues here have touched on the, the main points. There's actually ample room within, we see it in the Edmonton Public School Board, there's plenty of room for a diversity of different programs with different uh, emphasis, like there's sports and there's special language programs and there's science and technologies focus. And there's even room for special programs that have different styles of uh, teaching in the classroom. So the diversity is available in the public system. The other thing is that the public system, the, the teachers are part of the union. I mean, part of what the private school system, what the private schools are intended for is simply to, to take the teachers out of the union to, you know, to lower the status and the, the um, um, control that teachers have over their own working conditions. So certainly every, you know, all teachers should be within, within the system that, where they have a union protection. That's good for the, for the teachers and it's good for the students. And, uh, the also, I think you know it, it, it sort of parallels with what the government does with the with the healthcare system. That really, they're you know they're catering to uh, a, a minority of religious uh, crackpots. They're trying to sneak religion into the state. They're trying to bring you know they're trying to establish religion into the educational system by allowing by subsidizing by paying for private schools, you know, they don't say it in so many words, but essentially the reason, what, the reason for having those private schools, there can only be two. One is you, you are a member of the high elite and you only want your kids going to school with the other multimillionaires kids, or you want a specific religion taught in the school. Thank you to Naomi. So uh, Jeremy, do you want to go on to our next uh, education question? I sure do. Um, this one is about curriculum. The UCP, uh, of course, put the curriculum that had been uh, at work since Ed Stelmack's government through the shredder, as former Premier Kennedy promised. The new curriculum, particularly its social studies component, has been widely denounced by experts and the vast majority of school boards in the province refused to pilot it. The government delayed some parts of the curriculum in response to the backlash, like social studies, but other parts have been implemented. How would you approach the curriculum in the short term and then the long term? Uh, Barry, you're up first. So, so in the short term, uh, it, you know, if we had our way, we would we would stop the implementation of the curriculum as it is. We wouldn't roll it back the way it is. Because one of the things we have to get away from is that every time we change direction, we so radically change it. All we do is disrupt the teachers. We disrupt kids. We've got to be start where we are. It's really unfortunate that the UCP did that to the curriculum that was being developed. By all accounts, I have three teachers in my immediate family. And let me tell you, I hear about these things all the time. So uh, really unfortunate that they did that because there was a lot of uh, opportunity in the new curriculum and in the general direction they were going in curriculum development, which, which was to open it up, be, be more transparent, which was to make it a little bit more continuous and not kind of set these timelines of three, six. The world moves really fast and uh, making continual improvements to things is a good thing. Um, but we had to come at it with a better plan. So curriculum development has two components. One is the actual development of the curriculum, which should be transparent, open. There should be a, uh, again, there should be no uh, NDA signed when you're developing curriculum for, for school kids in Alberta. That's ridiculous. Uh, we should be 
uh, involving teachers and parents and academics and uh, interest groups that have uh, vested interest in making sure those stories are told. Those things have to be part of it. Secondly, we have to make sure that the teachers are intimately involved in it uh, because it has to be a teachable curriculum. And uh, I guess there's three pieces. The third piece is that how do we fund and implement it? One of the problems we're having in our classrooms right now is that the teachers themselves uh, have so much work beyond teaching, beyond teaching and guiding kids through their classes, that it's becoming very unmanageable. And uh, that in combination with classroom size makes it uh, terrible. So we have to have a long-term plan. Curriculum has to be, I think, organic and it has to change as we go. And uh, there's great advice out there how to do it better. So that's what we'd be following. Thank you, Barry. On to Naomi. Right. Okay, so I'm not an expert in this, this, but I'll just say as a general principle, look at whatever the UCP is doing and do just the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, you know, That's a fair comment. <laughs> as Barry has said, I mean, it, it, you know, as I said before, it, it's pretty clear, I mean, that their goal is actually to implement a science denying, climate change denying, uh, indigenous denying, <laughs> um, and you know, fundamental religion kind of platform uh, content into the into the curriculum. We know that that you know that they're cater they're trying to cater to those really specific, you know, crackpot groups in terms of currying favor with the you know far right and conspiracy theorists and so on politically. But also that they're in the pockets of the of the uh, fossil fuel corporations that they want to implement a don't question you know we love oil don't question. Uh, deny climate change, you know, they want to get those things into the curriculum. I mean, there's no such thing as a curriculum that doesn't have ideology in it. I mean, education is a social process and everybody comes to it with a, a social theory. So I think what we need to do is be honest and explicit. We want a social theory implemented in our education system that benefits working people, that highlights the significance of ordinary working people, that recognizes and acknowledges the, the national question of Canada, the, the rights of Indigenous people, the, and the marginalized groups who haven't had their, their true um, importance recognized within the social studies and history curriculum. We need to redress those in historic imbalances, you know, for like a truly democratic um, uh, curriculum and one that promotes scientific and critical thinking because we I come back to we need citizens you know we need engaged citizens who can you know understand what's really going on what who the government is really serving and who don't just accept um, the you know at face value the propaganda that they're going to get that's time thank you very much uh, and we'll finish with uh, Jordan uh, yeah, I commend Barry and Naomi in, in their in their messaging. I believe that both those messages are important, and, and I can only build on these. Uh, taking partisanship out of the curriculum uh, is critical. Of course, uh, part of our platform and our platform planks talks about this is about changing this curriculum. Uh, we are absolutely not for it. Uh, I think the question asked about short term and long term uh, regarding short term, uh, we could go as Northwest Territories did, we could go to another province that may, maybe has a better curriculum. Uh, I think that Northwest Territories, if I'm not wrong, used BC's curriculum uh, in the meantime. And then we would develop a professional, uh, education-based, uh, neutral, nonpartisan agenda. We, as politicians, we cannot put our political ideology 
into a curriculum. We need it to be uh, expert matter, uh, matter experts that that are within the educational system, um, speaking to to yes, parents and and even children in regards to where they're at and how they need to be supported in their learning process. Um, also modernizing and ensuring that the well-being of people is part of the curriculum. Uh, and that's important. And so when we take partisanship out, we also can obviously, you know, modernize in different ways as well. Uh, the Eurocentric uh, nature of this curriculum is super uh, troubling and detrimental for our society. Uh, it's perpetuating the colonialism, which has gotten us here today. And, and I think that we need to ensure that, you know, these things are dealt with immediately uh, and we can move forward and more progressively in, in the best ways possible that takes a wider lens that will create uh, you know, more understanding of different cultures and, and better understanding of the people that are all around us in, in Alberta and, and, and all, of, all of the people of Alberta. Thank you. Excellent. Okay. Excellent. So we're going to go on to, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about post-secondary here. Now, uh, the UCP introduced a performance-based funding model for post-secondary education, tying 5% of schools funding toward job readiness criteria. To what extent should post-secondary education focus on the needs of employers? And we're going to start with Naomi. Okay. Well, people do need jobs. And if they go to school, to, to a trade school, to learn a trade, they should be, you know, a system in place where the uh, corporations are actually obliged to hire and, you know, and take part in those uh, programs for apprenticeships and so on, which they aren't now currently. So that the, the corporation should actually be tied to having to provide those jobs for the people coming out of those programs. Now, in terms of uh, the more, if I could call it the more academic aspect of secondary education, where you know, an important aspect of that is, um, it's not just teaching, which is, which is a point which the current provincial government being really anti-academic and anti-science doesn't get, Research is an important element of what happens in universities. It's an important element in, what, in, in the quality of education that gets provided to the undergrads as well. And it's really very important that, that research be allowed to be objective as possible. It's really hard to be objective in your own research just because you want to get good results. You know, it's hard enough when you don't have the, the profit motive in there of corporations directing what research should be done and what research should be suppressed. So I think, you know, this, um, this is a criterion that the independence of research is as, at least as significant as the criterion of the job worthiness of the graduates coming out of a program. And talking about, you know, like having that metric to, to hold universities to is just a backhanded way of just trying to cut funding for education generally and fu cut funding for uh, independent research so okay <laughs> well you had 10 seconds but that's okay um and we will move on to jordan so the post-secondary model for funding is is definitely flawed uh it should be you know we should be looking at how to fully fund each institution regarding their student size um i, I don't know about these metrics they're using who's who's managing the metrics in regards to what's better and what's worse and who gets the funding. Again, the, the partisanship is, is muddling 
the revenue streams into our institutions, which people depend on and which students need access to. When you talk about access, we're talking about free tuition for post-secondary. We are absolutely, this is a critical piece of our platform. Uh, students should not be paying for their post-secondary. You can see that they're struggling on so many levels, whether, whether it's mental, whether it's just getting food. We see the food bank getting utilized 200% over this last uh, few months. Uh, it's, it's just crazy to think that these students are, are trying to pick between uh, their books or maybe a meal. I mean, we need to have access to education. It's an equity issue. It's an equality issue. Uh, it's, it's a class issue. And I think that, again, we need to ensure that this create, creates the great equalization of, of, of our society where people can get ahead instead of who you know or how much you have. And I don't think that's fair. And I think that that's the model that we should be looking at. Furthermore, we can back that up with universal mental health care so that we can support our students. And then obviously a basic income is critical. If we want students to thrive and to get out and get into the job markets, but we also need, as Naomi said, programs that help support uh, students getting into those jobs. And so we have that throughout our platform as well, including uh, a climate core uh, that we had expanded into uh, calling it the resiliency core of Alberta. And that would create a guaranteed placement of jobs because we need people to uh, help with our conservation, climate change, reclamation. There's so many things that we could be doing and supporting of our students. And that's just one example. Thank you very much. You guys are killing it being on time. Really appreciate this. Uh, I think we are down to, was that everybody on that? Oh no, we got Barry, oh. Barry. Two minutes, Thanks, my Scott. friend, my yeah. apologies. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's all right. So, so uh, on the measured, on, on the measurements, yeah, th those have to be removed. You, you cannot take uh, independence away from uh, lear learning institutions. You have to take that. That's got to be gone. Um, and, and, I, and then there's other ways to ensure that uh, universities are providing, you know, that that's the auspice of the program as well. They're teaching things that no one can get a job for. Well, uh, who's to say, first of all, but if that's the case, then allow students a bigger, uh, allow students themselves a lot more opportunities to govern. So with some of the things the Alberta Party's talked about when it comes out, first of all, yes, get rid of the metrics. The province shouldn't be involved in determining what universities should be teaching. I think uh, the marketplace does that, the students do that. Um, that's that's how it should go. And, and uh, we think that students should be a little way bigger part of the governance structure. Right now, the the, the senates or the governors, uh, boards of governors are appointed by province. And with all due respect, some of them are great people. They really are. But most of them haven't been in university for 40 years or 30 years. Um, most of them don't know what the co current modern struggles are uh, in terms of getting post-secondary education. So we would suggest that you have to uh, change the governance structure and allow students and, and newly uh, like past students to be part of that structure. Uh, we've said that we need to um, bend the total cost of education. So that's tuition, living costs. We have to bend that down by 50% over a, per a period of four years. For the same reasons that Jordan talked about, there's no point in creating 10,000 spaces in university if you can't find 10,000 people who can afford to go there. So uh, we think you have to bend the overall cost down. Um, the other thing we've talked about too is uh, mentorships, uh, paid mentorships. So that from year to year that, uh, and similar, and I, I haven't read uh, the Green Party's uh, climate core, the core piece, but we've talked about that as well. So there's some really good ideas there. So students have certainty that they can continue on and get themselves uh, the degree they want. Excellent. And again, appreciate you guys sticking to the times. 
So I just want to uh, let you guys know there's only three questions left. A couple more on education, and we got one fun one about the climate change at the end that I know Jordan's got lots to say about doing what he does for a living. So <laughs> it's going to be fun. Uh, but so feel free to uh, if you guys uh, you know over these last few questions want to kind of interject at the end, we'll have a little fun exchange. No no problems at all. We're doing pretty well for time, I think here. So um, let us begin. The NDP has promised stable and predictable post-secondary funding after four years of UCP cuts, which increasingly placed the burden of funding universities and colleges on the shoulders of students. To what extent would you reverse the UCP's funding cuts and how would you structure funding for universities? Starting with Jordan. So I went into that in the last one. Um, the NDP, they love talking about all the great things they're going to do, but I, you know they have no real plan on how they're going to do it. Um, we obviously focus on our ensuring that we get earn our fair share. We have the royalty rates. Uh, if we earn the $50 billion from the, the Lougheed rate of 35% in the last year, um, we did the math on it, free tuition for students in Alberta, undergrad, roughly 3% of that. 3%, so this pittance of this royalty that we're losing out. So when you get robbed, students suffer. When you get robbed, then our, our funding for these institutions suffers, suffers, suffers. And we have to stop that. We have to stop the bleeding, whether it's our healthcare system or our education system. So student size is the critical piece. And we should be ensuring that all these institutions are funded in the best way, regulated in the best way publicly uh, to ensure that the students get what they need. And when you have free tuition, as I said before, it is an absolute game changer for the people of Alberta. There's no policy I've seen from any other party that shows uh, a more progressive way uh, to, to, to deal with equity in our society than to give access to education, access to education for everyone. Access to education is a treaty right. Access to education is critical. And unless we can do that, unless we can show that we can do that, uh, again, I think that we're failing uh, Albertans and then we'll turn around and say, well, why, why isn't anyone trained? And why, why aren't our, our trades trained? And, and why don't, why are these people still struggling? Uh, you know, again, this is when I keep talking about the scraps. We have to demand better. And that's our model for this. Demand better because we deserve better. And I think that it's important that we integrate uh, free tuition into, uh, you know, every conversation when we talk about post-secondary and how to support our students. Excellent. Barry, to what extent uh, would you reverse cuts and how would you approach funding for universities? Yeah, so we, we've talked about lowering the cost of 50% overall, uh, you know, to the total cost of going to school. We've, uh, I, I've had some meetings with uh, CAUSE, the Association of Students Unions, and they've talked about uh, keeping a percentage, right? The percentage of the cost of education being coming directly into the institution. But I, I and I think I, I, would take their advice on that. They seem to think that that's a model that would work and I would take their advice on that. But it has to be, again, it has to be something that's a priority and post-secondary and uh, trades training should be a priority because there's an expense. I know there's an affordability issue. So one of the statements the Alberta party's made is that financial gatekeeping has got to be, we've got to work our way through that. There's a number of ways to do that because we have a lot of different uh, profiles of students these days. We have people who are 
working parents or families that one or two are going back to school need a different type of support, a different cost structure in order to make that work. And I, I think uh, as we modernize and as we uh, recognize that the student profile is continuing to change, that financial gatekeeping has to be one of the things that we uh, work on and we have to invest the money properly. So reversing all the cuts, keeping it to a percentage. The other thing is accessibility is how the university themselves function. Uh, there's like 60 some thousand transfer agreements between the 22 uh, facilities in Alberta. There should be one. <laughs> the one being that if you if you work a year or two in any program that's credited in the next program, that again allows students and families with their economic conditions or where their jobs are, what they've got to do to be able to continue on with their post-secondary education. So that's something that we would provide uh, immediately that happens in other jurisdiction. It works really well. And then lastly, on the terms of uh, uh, access is when it comes to uh, disabilities and when it comes both physical and mental disabilities on a continuing education basis or post-secondary education, we need to do more for that community as well because there's a there's a big lack of that stuff happening as well. Excellent, and we'll move on to Naomi. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so yes, obviously we would reverse the cuts in education funding and uh, establish a higher level of funding. And we're definitely in favor of um, eliminating fees to individual students, tuition fees. The, the coverage, it should be covered out of general revenues. Jordan has already explained where that money can come from. And furthermore, we should replace student loans with a system of grants. That is, full-time students should get an actual living stipend. You know, not a lavish one, but, an, but a, enough that, that, that we could put the, the university food banks out of business. And the, um, that the, this should be extended to international students as well. We should not be gouging the international students for, for higher tuition fees, which is the situation now. Um, you know, any that admission to school should be based on academic achievement, you know, potential and ability, not on ability to pay. And that's the only way forward for us to be able to genuinely staff a modern economy, that we need people who are going to be the best qualified professionals coming out of these, not the ones whose parents were the wealthiest. Excellent. And now the I just want to say the, our, our last question was essentially about tuition. And I think you guys kind of, or our last question about education, you guys have pretty much covered that. So I just want to, before I move to the last bit on, on climate change, is there anything anyone else wants to add, uh, in, uh, say here on uh, funding or tuition for post-secondary? Just one last yep, thing. I, ahead, I, I touched on how the governance model should change, but that's the Alberta Party's approach to a lot of these problems is to make sure the people that are most directly affected have a voice at the table. That's that's another thing that's lacking. You know, it's difficult in a young person's life. First, there's, a, you know, believe it or not, I can't actually remember what it was like to be young. Um, and it's a daunting thing to step up when you're like uh, in your 20s or even in your 30s to step up to a table that has, you know, a, a lot of experience and, and, uh, and, you know, practiced voices and all that kind of thing um, to step up. So, you know, you, you, we have to make that happen and we have to make that happen proactively because I think, you know, with all of the conversations we've had about all the ideas we have, the one thing that's missing from it is that the voices are that need to be around the table aren't there today. And, and there, there's voices right here that should be around the table. I would subscribe to you that should be there. But also, generally speaking, 
when it comes to you know where we get our where we get our advice from meaningful and thoughtful advice we we don't go to students when we talk about school we don't we go to we, we always seem to go outside I, I i never got interviewed about school when i was there maybe it wasn't a big deal but uh, we don't talk enough to teachers when it comes to post-secondary we don't talk enough to post-secondary students about what they require when you sit down with them they're a very reasonable group um, they have a really good understanding of what needs to be done to make us more successful and that's missing from almost every problem we have Every system we have in this province is 30 or 40 or 50 or 100 years old. It's never changed because we've never had the right people at the table to talk about those changes. And secondly, we've never done it in an open, um, transparent way so that all Albertans can have can watch this happen. Great decisions happen in the light when you have enough people at the table. And that's something that we need to put in place to make sure we get better choices going forward. Excellent. Naomi, do you have... Uh... Anything to say on this? It would well, be your turn in order, so, you know. Yeah, well, I think we've actually covered it. I mean, we, you know, the, these these issues are all interlocking, so you can't really talk about the one without the other. And right. <laughs> fair, fair comment. Uh, Jordan, uh, Jordan, I know you got your hand up there, buddy. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can only add, again, uh, to some of these uh, great ideas. And again, this is why we need more conversations. This is why we need to be part of these debates. This is why we can't shut out third parties. This is why we need to have a strong democracy. Uh, we need to have these conversations. And the only thing also I can build on is, I mean, Barry touched on it, access, access, access. How do we access our educational system so that we can all uh, have a well-being and a thriving, uh, educated population, which will make great decisions, which will make healthier decisions. Um, this is critical. And I mean, we, we can also talk about transport, obviously, uh, public transit. And, you know, within our platform, we say uh, public transportation is a right. It's, it's just as healthcare is a right, just as education is a right. Public transportation, your need, your, the access for Albertans across this province is critical. I mean, imagine uh, finally just building this high-speed train and what that does for countries. Like you could think about Japan and you could think about smaller countries that have a high-speed train and how that accesses the job markets from around the province, uh, how that accesses education, uh, healthcare, uh, you know, thriving communities by having that connectivity um, will always uh, be able to create more opportunities, more opportunities for their families, more opportunities for their kids, more opportunities for society by allowing Albertans to, to come together more, to connect more. If you live in Lacombe, you take the, the high speed into, into Edmonton, for, you know, for it's a 10 minute ride, you know, you come back, you can live in these other areas and you can access education and access the job markets uh, within urban centers or wherever you need to go. So I think that that's another thing that we do need to speak about when we talk about uh, access uh, for the people of Alberta. Nice work. Everybody finishes right before I get to my 10 second warning. I don't even have to work anymore. So we got one. You've question. got to tell Scott, you've got to tell. Scott that's absolutely. So you know. I do. Yeah, that's absolutely <laughs> true. Um, so I'm going to let Jer Jeremy read this last question and it's uh, very much in a two party kind of way, because we definitely want to discuss the, what would you do now and into the future of this? So, uh, but this is our final question, you guys. So have at her Jeremy. Alberta is on fire and the results of climate change are playing an increasing role in natural disasters. Alberta is the highest per capita emitter of carbon dioxide in Canada. And if it were to uh, separate from Canada, as some people, uh, no one here 
would like to see. Uh, it would be the worst uh, uh, carbon emitter in the world, worse than countries like Qatar and Saudi Arabia, who are currently the, the, the worst. What would you do to combat the climate crisis, which is already upon us, as we see, and mitigate its worsening effects? Uh, let's start with Naomi. Okay, so I mentioned that, you know, we'd established a, a petroleum marketing board. So the first thing to do is to gain is to gain control over the product and can, can gain control over where the profits go so that all the producers have to sell to this board and this board is responsible for selling the product. So this give, basically this gives us the tool to drain the, the profits out of the corporations for it. And we've got to have a plan like and a, and a pretty like a medium term plan, not a long term plan to close down the tar sands. They're, they're not economically viable. You know, I mean, what we've learned repeatedly over the years is Saudi Arabia sets the price of, of uh, energy, not Alberta. And Saudi Arabia has plenty of cheap, you know, fuel, far more than, the, than we as a, as a planet can afford to burn, could be sold by Saudi Arabia at cheap rates. Tar sands are not, are not profitable, never will be. They've always existed on the basis of being of draining more and more government subsidies. So close down the tar sands and immediately put, put in that transition, that just transitions program where the workers are going to be guaranteed their livelihood, whether they are given immediately find other jobs in green industries that the, you know, that the, the government should be um, instrumental in, in instituting or whether they have to go through a training period to change jobs, guarantee the incomes of workers displaced in the in the energy sector. Um, my personal, you know, sort of hobby horse is about public transit and, you know, um, pre preventing urban sprawl, you know, preserving uh, farmland and, and uh, wildlands around cities, making the city populations denser so that uh, services can be supplied, including transportation can be supplied more efficiently by making city centers more attractive. But that, that's just, that's my personal pet <laughs> project. And there, there are many more. Uh, I just want to mention drawdown.org. There's a website, drawdown.org, which has like lists, I think it's, a, it's 80 doable, you know, um, mitigation of, of climate. And they give put on a global scale, they put actual numbers of how much would have to be invested, but critically, how much profit would come out of, out of that investment. And these are current existing technologies, not speculative. So there's a lot that can be done. It's not a question of what can we do? It's a question of who's willing to actually do it. Thank you. Uh, Jordan, you're up, my friend. Feel like you may have some thoughts on this. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, oh geez, where do you start again? Um, so yes, the province is on fire. Uh, the first thing that, that happened when the province was on fire this year uh, was the talk about how this was unprecedented. Unprecedented, unprecedented, these unprecedented fires, unprecedented, unprecedented. This is climate change. If you look at any model, this is climate change. I studied the models actually within my master's degree in disaster emergency management, this was my final paper. I studied wildland urban interface fires in Alberta and 
how climate change and increase in population uh, will absolutely create these uh, conditions for a worst case scenario. So proactivity on the climate, proactivity on fires and wait for the droughts. You're, you're gonna, we're just gonna wait again. The droughts are going to be even more detrimental to our food supply, to our food security, our supply chains. And so why aren't we talking about these things? Because it's inconvenient, of course, uh, because it deals with uh, the greed of our, of our corporations. Uh, it deals with the fact that we have two uh, established parties that are really two sides of the same coin. And who owns that coin? It's the corporations that are benefiting uh, from the resource extraction and from the, the detriment of, uh, of our environment. Uh, but we can't apparently uh, come to any conclusion on regards to how we're going to do it uh, because it's inconvenient, of course. So GHGs, I mean, they have to peak before 2025. That's the IPCC. I mean, this is uh, the scientific facts. If we don't peak our GHG before 2025, we're in big trouble. And as a disaster manager, I'm already thinking ahead of that because do I believe it will happen? Uh, I have to say it's, it's, it's an uphill battle that I do not see without any critical mass movement of the people uh, we we were moving in that direction to to rise up and really create a voice around this and the need to to establish new uh, ways of of dealing with these issues. But again, we are the only party that had a, a, a green uh, wildfire resilience plan. We're the only party with a climate uh, core. We're the only party that was talking about uh, not just the short term but the long term and how to deal with these effects. But again, I could speak to this for ages. And um, so well, we, we might even give you a chance to respond at the end here. So, but we're going to let Barry have his two minutes. Uh, Mr. Morishita, go ahead. We, we need a soundboard. That's right. Next. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should have brought some props. There That's right. That's right. Um, so, so the Alberta Party absolutely needs. Uh, is we we have goals set. The goals are in place. We we've kind of, I think, as a country, we've said net zero by twenty fifty. How do we get there? Um, you know, there's two separate things. Uh, the the fires are, are 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 the immediacy of that is a a bit of a different issue. But when it comes to climate change, uh, Jenny Remy, who's our uh, who's our energy expert, um, we've talked about how every project, everything we do, has to consider land sea and our land water and air has to consider those impacts wholly not just individually in a silo and that that approach will at least on a go forward basis will allow us to make sure the projects that we're moving that we're moving forward and the decisions we're making actually are beneficial uh and and uh don't create more of a problem in those areas as we go forward so i think our approach uh to begin with is 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 much better um we've got set measurements in that uh, in that policy about how you measure those uh, progresses in each of those areas. It's it's technically far beyond me, but uh, it's certainly available for anybody who wants to, to look at it. I think it's a very robust uh, policy to start with from, from the place that we're building it from. But in, in order for that to happen, you need all hands on deck. You need the federal government. You do need industry to be part of this solution. They're part of the problem. They need to be part of the solution. You need certainty and regulation that allows those participants to be part of it. Jordan's, you know, we're, uh, this question, we, we do, we create more, most of the GHDs, um, but we also create an, an, an immense amount of economic opportunity across the country, how we, we should be capitalizing on that and making sure those investments are going back into climate change uh, mitigation, GHG mitigation, and those emission uh, reductions and those kinds of things directly. Last thing, when it comes to disaster management, we have to quit politicizing it. 
There are there are great plans written. I, as a municipal official, when we have our disaster plan, it is not the mayor who takes control. I may be talking if I was the mayor, but the people that know the job are doing it. Uh, and we need to get back to that and properly invest and look after it. It's, it's getting to be a huge problem. Uh, I've been to Slave Lake and Fort McMurray and saw the aftermath of those. And we don't want to continue to play the same story and over and over again. There are ways to fix this, make it better. Oh, you're... I had to do it as like a yeah. tradition on the way out the door here, you guys. Um, All right, that's it for um, our questions. Yeah, I just want to ask if you guys, sorry, Jerry, but I just wanted to ask if you guys had any last thing to say on the climate change. We'll let you have that before we do closing remarks. Just just one thing. I think Jordan makes a good point uh, about, you know, the times and, and the ability. One of the things I was talking to uh, 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 was after an interview was, uh, was a young guy on a radio station. We talked about that. We, we kind of only have a conversation for 28 days, essentially. I mean, we might have it a little bit outside that and in the months leading up. And there might be, you know, I don't know, maybe there'll be four or five more UCP leadership races in the next four years. Who knows? And then we can talk about it again. But you know, we don't have a lot of time. And, and for some reason, we, uh, we've got to create those opportunities to have an ongoing and a, and, a, and a kind of a capacity building conversation about politics and the things that happen, because it, there isn't enough time. We're, we're taking two hours here nearly. And I know there's a lot more things we could be saying. There's a lot more things we could be saying about this. There's, if, if we were going to be talking specifically about climate change, I wouldn't be the one in, in front of you. I'd be sending Jenny to talk to you about it, right? So to that point, I think Jordan makes a good point. Somehow we've got to build capacity to have more conversations around this as we go forward, certainly past the election and into the next one. So, Go ahead, uh, Jordan. Absolutely, yeah. More people at the table because we have to hold accountability. We have to hold accountability. And there's no one that's going to hold accountability. It's not the NDP. The NDP showed their colors when they when they took their own uh, piece of uh, their own manifesto, the LEAP manifesto. And what did uh, what did Notley say? It was a betrayal. They tore it up. That was the end for me. If you're going to do that, you know, back at a critical moment to get ahead of the emission issue and to get ahead on climate change, uh, you're going to show your true colors. And that's exactly what they did. Uh, we need to call people out on this. Uh, Naomi, thank you for bringing up uh, Project Drawdown. I think that everyone needs to look at that. We need more awareness around that because there are solutions. Those solutions do exist. And sometimes I just take this disaster manager approach and talking about the wildfire resilience, talk about what we can do. However, there are solutions and it is part of our policy and part of our platform. Nice. Uh, Naomi, do you have a last comment on climate change? Okay. Well, I think, you know, the, there's the five of us here have a lot in common, right? What really has to happen, like the day after the election, not waiting a day longer than that. It's like, we get back to work on the building up of these alliances that are going to be necessary, because no matter which government is, is elected, uh, whether any action is taken on, on climate or any other issue, it's going to depend on the strength of uh, people's movements, you know, lobbying for it. We know the other side is lobbying. We know the other side has the ear of the government, you know, the, the corporate sector who are prepared to see the world burn for the sake of short-term profits. We need all the voices on the other side to be as coherent and united and loud as possible. And I think that's, we should all, you know, go away from here or, you know, prepared to talk to each other again about this, building up this alliance and making it as 
as powerful as it can be so that whatever government is elected is going to be you know, required to answer to this, this you know, people's coalition of forces. May I respond to that? We'll give you 30 seconds, buddy. Is the first thing I did when I was elected three years ago. I walked with Naomi. I hooked up with David uh, Swan, Dr. Swan from the Liberals. I said, let's form a third option for the people. If we had done that, uh, we would be in a position right now with a full slate. So uh, I've talked to Barry about this. I have talked to the Liberals about this. I've talked to Naomi about this. We need to come together. We need to come together. I've been talking about it for three years, but we gotta stop talking and we have to walk the walk. It's not too late. I mean, I know the election's on our doorstep, but we need to do something and we need that third option for the people of Alberta. They deserve it. They need something else. Nice work. Um, okay. So uh, we're going to give you guys each uh, a minute on the way out the door. Anyways, we want to have some closing remarks and let you guys say uh, anything that's like uh, sort of left on your mind. So um, uh, I, I know you, you just finished uh, Jordan, but we're going to start with you, my friend. <laughs> Thank you. So again, here we are. We've got uh, the two legacy parties. We have a two party system. It doesn't work in the States. It won't work here uh, with the people of Alberta need to, to rally around third party candidates that will speak for them. They need to go back to the value system. It is strategic to vote for your value system. And we have to get past this first past the post. We need to have accountability in the legislature. First, a minority government is critical. If these sides are so close together, we can use it as an opportunity to create the first minority government in Alberta's history. If we can do that, then we can move forward to a more collaborative system, focusing on getting to a proportional system, which would create the coalition that's working for the people, not against. I am so tired of these politicians telling me that they're fighting for me. They are not. They're fighting for their agendas and we need more collaboration in the legislature. Please check out our platform. Please go to our website, albertagreens.ca. We are an option. Oh. Ah, good job nobody good job good job if we, we all should have started a charitable fund that's right here, if I we think, just we pretend it's well. not happening then we can just get mo to edit it and it doesn't make me look silly but now he just leaves it in and everybody will know that's okay uh so uh mr morishita of the alberta party one minute my friend you know it, the the election this is an important election every election is important they have been uh, important and, and we only have to look back the last 10 years to see how different outcomes could have affected it. Alberta's been stagnant and stale and not moving forward uh, for a long time with the two parties we have in there. And, and we do, we need other voices to, to bring new ideas, uh, to moderate uh, some of the direction that uh, the other two parties have chosen to go. And the Alberta party has an opportunity in some writings to do that. And so we really encourage you to elect uh, uh, some Alberta party MLAs because uh, it's just the beginning then. Um, once we have a foothold in that legislature and once we're actually being inclusive of people's considerations and ideas, uh, we can start to change politics in Alberta. And I'm, I'm, I'm really happy that I've talked to Jordan. I've talked to David Swan about this. And, you know, sometimes kingdom building gets in the way. Uh, we have to be mindful ourselves internally to, to, to break that down and say, let's do the right thing for Alberta. We can do better. And uh, let's uh, think about that on May 29th. Thank you, Barry. And uh, lastly, uh, Naomi Rankin of the Communist Party. Okay, so, you know, we live in a, 
Alberta is kind of like a company town. There's only one, you know, one employer in town and they call all the shots. And, and we, Alberta, in, despite its immense potential, it's, the, it's immense natural and human resources. We suffer from the, the economic and the social and the spiritual degradation of living in a company town where the corporations call all the shots. We got to change that. It's going to, I mean, I agree with the, with the other speakers here about the need for parties, you know, progressive parties to cooperate. But more than that, it needs to be a, a very broad alliance of progressive organizations generally, so that it's not just the parties, but the whole environmental movement, the women's movement, the indigenous people, the trade union movement, um, organizations that speak for the handicap, all have to come together to build this new alliance. That's it for our, um, I, I know Alberta primetime already did one, but I'm calling it the official uh, third party leaders debate here on the Forgotten Corner. Um, it was great to hear all of your ideas. And I think voters are well served by hearing perspectives of those um, who aren't the two main parties. I think it's a shame that none of you were uh, invited to participate in the official leaders debate. And um, I just wanted to note that uh, there wasn't any lying here uh, today, uh, yeah. which was really refreshing um, and uh, a, a, so contrast with the, the, a, a contrast with the official um, leaders debate, uh, you know, most of that coming from uh, one person, but, you know. Um, so, yeah, it was great. Uh, thank you all uh, so much for coming. Uh, Naomi, we haven't had you on the show yet solo, unlike Jordan and Barry, so uh, we should do that sometime. And Jordan fine. and Barry, uh, we'd also like to have each of you on again, uh, I'm sure. Um that's all, folks. Uh, it's great to be back. Uh, Scott and I uh, will be trying to uh, do this more regularly again and uh, book some guests. Sorry, and... I had personal things. It's my yeah, fault. Yeah, yeah. Oh, like, no, no, no. I'm not. It, I'm it not, is my I'm... fault, though. I just want the listeners to know it's not on Jeremy. He's actually been handling a lot for me lately, so appreciative. Yeah, I arranged this debate. It was all me. <laughs> it's all me. That's right. <laughs> Scott. Scott didn't do any. Well, no, we we did. We we worked on the format in questions together this week, and uh, yeah, no, I'm pleased with how it turned out. Uh, anyways, Scott, you got some uh, patrons to thank. Yes, and it's been so long since we thanked them. I might even need our little list here again, but uh, we do appreciate the support. And don't worry, since our in our hiatus, we don't take your money. Don't you worry about that, folks. But anyways, to Farishad. Now we to, are. Yeah, of course, we're 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 going to start charging. To Farishadri, to Nicola. Nicola Didicola, to Chris Derwell, to Dave Von Miller, to Darius Beregard. You guys are amazing. You guys make us go. Uh, always again, thank you to uh, the late Susan Lexier for all the support she gave us. Uh, peace to my brother. I love you. See you guys uh, as soon as we can. Take care. Thank you, everybody, for being here. Thanks a lot. Well, thank you, Scott and Jeremy, for giving us this opportunity. Thank you.